Cars et Manuel Emmanuel aime les intellectuels Il est Manuel Today we're doing a show on uh, the Emmanuel films, and it's funny because, you know, there's a rather infamous entry that I'm sure we'll touch on at least today. Emmanuel on the White Slave Trade is one of its names, mm-hmm. and there's actually a, you know, in a way kind of amusing, but a definitely absurd bit of news that came in yesterday. I'm sure that by the time people hear this will be very old news. We did a show on the superhero shows maybe a year or so back, and one of the shows we talked about was Smallville. And oh, it turns yeah. out, yeah. it turns out that of all people, Chloe, you know, the sweet and innocent, whatever the hell she's supposed to be, had gotten involved with, and even more interestingly, dragged Kristen Kruk, you know, Lana Lang, in on this supposed self-help, I guess like a Tony Robbins kind of a thing, but it was more culty, you know, it was like a women's empowerment self-help sort of a thing. And Kristen apparently left this years ago, but <laughs> Chloe stayed with this thing. And there was some kind of thing where there was an inner circle, like kind of like the Hellfire Club, I guess, that they called DOS, of all things. And it turns out that she was recruiting women from the group as sex slaves for the boss of this whole agency. So it becomes like, basically she's pimping. So one of these pimps, you are a, quote, master, and everybody else, all the other girls, they were considered slaves. This is their terminology. Uh, uh. <laughs> and they, they were actually, like, branding them like a horse stable with his initials. <laughs> So, you know, it's totally bizarre and screwed up, but you've got a supposed women's empowerment self-help group that was really, like, dragging people back to the dark ages. And, of course, you know, it's Chloe of all freaking people. So you never know what happens to these people after they move on. (laughs) This is true. This is true. And and my experience with the uh, innocent, petite librarian types, you know, the the sweet girls, is like, they're the fucking worst. Don't trust them. Well, they're definitely crazy, yeah, that's for sure. They, they do shit, man. Oh, my God. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I know. We all know. So, <laughs> anyway, so that, that tidbit aside, here we go. You're listening to Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Tonight, the Emmanuel Phenomenon, EO Emmanuel, on Big Papa Online Network, on Blog So, uh, good evening, and welcome to, this is, I believe, the sixth show we've done. Sixth uh, show. The sixth show of the fifth season. Unless you can count those two shows we did towards the end of last season, a year plus ago. In which case, it's been a little bit longer. You've got an extended season. Uh, <laughs> from Weird Seasons at the Gold Mine, you're such a guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Drop in for a spell and join me, Doc Savage, and my co-host, Mr. Lewis Paul, as we discuss the beloved, the hated, the weird, and the wonderful world of cult film, music, television, and more. So, 
So, tonight, at the very dawn of the 1960s, a then typically anonymous book of erotica appeared on the shelves of the more specialized and discreet booksellers and bodegas of Paris. Generally considered to be autobiographic fiction, Emmanuel was penned by a Thai expat writing under the pen name of Emmanuel Arsan. While the book was later widely reattributed to her French husband, Emmanuel was an amazing novel rivaled only by Pauline Réage's Story of Elle and the works of Saad as a quintessentially French admixture of hot erotica and decadent philosophy, taking the swinging suburban roulette stick to both exotic locales and thoughtful intellectual extremes in a way seldom seen since the heyday of decadence like Lisman, Mirbeau, and Rachild. Finding its audience and the influence greatly expanded upon the release of Jess Jacobs' groundbreaking 1974 cost celebrity film adaptation, Arsan herself took the helm for the quite similar Annie Bell feature Laura, handling both scripting and direction, and even making one of her rare appearances on screen therein. But more importantly than that, from such humble beginnings sprang a plethora of sequels, offshoots, variants, and oddities that spanned more than a decade, inclusive of a number of related series that spanned the globe, from its strongholds in France and Italy to entries hailing from Greece, the UK, the US, and even so far afield as Japan and China. So join us tonight as we wend our way through a tangled skein of 70s softcore cinema, as we take on a fictionalized true story of a swinging couple come Saudi and philosophy treatise, or is that globe-trotting photographer come adventurous, the woman that change and define a decade, Emmanuel. So, uh, as I said, I am Doc Savage with Mr. Lewis Paul, and I'm not sure how you want to kick this one off. I was thinking of actually uh, just briefly getting out of the way, um, Emmanuel Arsan, something about her. Yes. Her, her real name, or as best we can, was Mariat, Marayat, M-A-R-A-Y-A-T. That's, if anything, that is and was her first name. Um, she has several other names. One I don't want to pronounce. It's in it's anglicized, but it was originally Thai. And then there's another Thai variant. She met a, She was born in Thailand in Bangkok uh, in 1932, and she was a young schoolgirl. Apparently, an affluent family of all things. I see some things about being uh, related. To royalty, we don't know. You know, things change over the years. You know, hearsay, whatever. But she was—I have to say, from what I could see, she might have been from a well-to-do family over there, and her parents are able to send her to Switzerland, just like French Lessons, one of my favorite Brigitte Lahaye films. <laughs> uh, and apparently, there she met the man who would become her husband, a French diplomat, much older than her. I mean, not dramatically, but you know, like she was 15, he was 30. But I guess uh, stuff happened. <laughs> um, smartly enough, despite their age, they stayed together, but they didn't marry until much later. Mm-hmm. Thing was, I, I don't think one influenced the other to do this. From what I can see, they were a sexually free and expressive couple. Yes. What we would call today swingers. There are swingers today. It exists. New Jersey, of all places, is the hotbed of swingerdom. Don't ask me how I know this. <laughs> I've been writing part two of my memoirs lately. Shh. Actually, I will publish these on Amazon Create Space within the next year. And I, I'm not going to name names, of course. Not. I'm not going to name actual places and groups and stuff. But there was a brief time when I was involved in this thing. But so it exists, and apparently New Jersey's the hotbed. But this is not Jersey. This was in <laughs> Thailand because the husband of Maryam was a French attaché there in Bangkok when they met. So uh, you mentioned earlier the there uh, there was said that he actually wrote the books and they were attributed to her. I can't. I see the same thing, but I can actually 
find whether there's something definitive about that. Maybe because she yeah. was a woman. And I disagree with it personally. I mean, people have said hmm. this for a long time, but I mean, and you can read it different ways because you know sometimes, okay, she was young, she was Thai, whatever. There is a very French decadent sensibility about the book, but and I love this book. It's a really, really hot erotic hmm. novel. Those of you who are interested, uh, with plenty of philosophy in it as well. Like I said, it's a very decadent book for those of you who've uh, perused my journal of decadence on Third Eye Cinema, but. You know, I never agreed with that. I always felt that that might have been, like you mentioned, just, or you were hinting at, just kind of one of those put-downs of, oh, she's female, she couldn't possibly have done this. Well, I don't think so. I think it was semi, at least semi-autobiographical. And like you mentioned, these people were swingers when what was a hotbed of swinging, uh, which was, you know, Thailand back then, Bangkok, before it became the golden triangle of, you know, drugs and bar girls and all the stuff that people, you know, all over the world go there to go get laid, whatever the hell they do nowadays. I haven't been doing it since the 60s. I and guess. tea girls. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is back yeah. in, you know, the 50s, really, uh, even earlier. And, uh, sure. you know, this was kind of a, you mentioned that they were kind of well-to-do, at least together, because he was like a, you know, an attaché. He was somehow a government person for France mm-hmm. over there. That was back when it was still French Indochina, I guess. <laughs> but, well, yeah. And another thing I learned, that these people were well-known for this, yes. uh, the, the, the couple. So so much that they, they, were, they were like jet-setters, you know, people who... Were bored spouses or spies? I mean, this is, yeah, pre-Vietnam, there's a lot of stuff. You know, they were, you know, Americans, Europeans, French, especially, would send spies into Vietnam, and mm-hmm. they 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 jetted all around the world. They were known as really well-to-do, sexually free orgiast, yes. and um, they hooked up at some time, at some point, with a Italian prince. Of course, we're not surprised. Um, who even blew that up even further, uh, that whole thing. And something I wanted to mention is that this book had several printings. And when it, as you, I think you said, when it first came out, you know, it was you know, almost pseudonymous, like those uh, black, was it Grove Press? Was it Bl- Grove Press? Was it like, there was a lot of them. When you used to look for erotic novels, even into the early 90s, you would yeah. see all kinds of things that said anonymous, buy anonymous on them. And that was actually like the name. Like, mm. oh, here's the author, Anonymous. And that's how it came right. out, which was pretty typical for and erotic I, fiction. And I, right. And I think Grove Press, if I'm remembering correctly, was one of those. They did do that a lot. Yeah. 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 Uh, but there was an explosion, late 60s, early 70s, of these kind of things. Erica Jong, Fear of Flying. Yes. yes. Xavier Hollander, The Happy Hooker. Mm-hmm. The, these were women who were free souls and wrote this kind of stuff. So I think one of the re-releases of the the Emanuel book in the early 70s to coincide and take advantage of the popularity of the sudden explosion of the interest in this suddenly kick-started the phenomena, I think. Um, Otherwise, I think we would have seen these kind of things much earlier, but more chaste. Yeah, and I also think that there is a difference between male-written or even film to some extent, erotica and Mm female-oriented. Now, you don't have to go with this whole flowery candles and billowing drapes and rose petals bullshit that came around the 90s. You know, the whole uh, who was the one uh, named herself after a disease? Uh, Candida Royale kind of stuff. I mean, it isn't that. Or, or uh, Marilyn Chambers started doing this kind of stuff in the 90s too. And then there was a guy, a male director that was known for this. Uh, Andrew Blake. You know, the, it, Zalman King. You know, that, that kind of stuff is really cheesy. But 
we're talking about this sensuousness, like a tactile sensuousness, that really you can't get. You don't get it from somebody like Assad, for example. You won't get it from somebody right. like Amir Bo, even though he is very uh, can get pretty hot in his read like Torture Garden, for example. That you do get with women writers of this stuff, even and actually for me especially back then in the from the turn of the century into the, maybe the seventies. Uh, like you had mentioned, Erica Jones, same idea, and that's why I really do think mm. that this book was. I mean, okay, he may have helped, he may have edited, he may have fixed some grammar. We don't really know. But this woman was bilingual, right. French and Thai, and actually she knew a couple of languages, from my understanding. Yes, several. So yeah. I really do think she wrote this book. Just one thing I want to jump in on. I th- yeah, Zalman King, yes. A- Andrew Blake, you mentioned, he actually did hardcore. This stuff is pretty good, uh, personally. Candida Royale, she, I like some of the stuff she did. So may- maybe, well, maybe you just didn't like. Well, we're talking about the stuff in the 90s, yeah, I, when I, it got, became like the, the billowing curtains and the, you know, Blake, what I remember from him was he would have those things yeah. where like, oh, let's, let's up the production value and he'd do it through cheesecloth and he'd have carriages coming through and people all okay, dressed up. Okay, I, and... I can see what you're saying. I can see what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, Michael Nin, you know, came out really big. Oh, man, what was it? Latex, shocks, some really crazy ass stuff uh wound up doing stuff a little i could say a little bit like that but uh not quite <laughs> uh later on he did catherine the great which i own a two disc set of uh i'm not going to describe it but uh <laughs> yes um yeah so the popularity of these things led to the first film we're going to discuss catherine the great took about a manual in america uh, anyway so <laughs> No, it's not like that. It's not like that. Okay, I'm thinking of a historical figure. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> so, anyway, this book had come out, and it's at some point here, Just Jakin, he was a uh, French director, had taken on this project. I don't know whether he came up with the idea or if a producer handed it to him or what, but it was the first Emmanuel film. And, you know, just right off the top, nobody really knew what this film would become. Serge Gainsbourg, uh, who we had talked about last week, he told Jake to go oh, fuck off about doing the soundtrack for this thing. And I actually, at the beginning and possibly end of the show, you'll hear some of what he wound up doing later for another Emmanuel film. Because he's like, you know, this thing, I'm not going to do this. This is crap. There's going to be no money involved with this cheap erotic film or whatever. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Sylvia Christel, who was the starlet of the film, sold her interest on this thing for peanuts. You know, mm-hmm. I, I forget what she got, but it was like, you know... $15,000 or something like that when she could have made millions. So both of them were completely wowed by the fact that, oh shit, I, I missed the train in one respect or another. This thing really blew up. Basically, this first film was from 1974. The version of the Emanuel book that I have was the paperback, which actually uses the same poster art from this film with the, the mouth open with the cherry. You know, it's got a lot of good to it. It's actually relatively... It's not true to the book in certain respects, but oh, it's true it to the spirit. Yeah, it's right. true to the spirit of it. Kind of like when you say Franco's true to Sod. It's got that basic feel. It is very philosophical at points, and it's also extremely erotic and hot and tropical. The thing for me is that Christelle, even though she was young and certainly willing to bear herself and throw herself into the part, she really doesn't embody the role for me. I mean, as we have mentioned, Emmanuel herself was a Thai woman. So I really think Laura Gemser was a better choice. Christelle, 
you know, my first experience of her was when she was doing later things, like when she was doing those cheap vampire films in the late 80s. And even before that, when she did that, it was like my tutor or my chauffeur or something. One of those cheap Get smart. Don't forget, she was in the second. I didn't Get even know that one. Film. Wow. Because yeah. I was thinking about the... Yeah. Uh, she did those cheap teen sex comedies that were so popular in the decade. You know, uh-huh. one of those hard bodies type things where she becomes somebody's, you know, mm-hmm. maybe it was private lessons. That might have been the one. And I'm like, really, this kind of, I mean, she wasn't really middle-aged yet, but it's kind of blowsy. You know, I'm, I'm not really seeing what the appeal is here other than that she's got a French accent and, you know, over-smoked teeth. You know, she had those yellow teeth from the smokers yet. And even going back to this early film, I was like, okay, well, it works. But she's got that short, slick back hair, and then as you go through the other films, then it becomes that sort of lampshade with the waves. And I'm like, this is not... She never really has a nice hairdo. She's not that hot, at least in my opinion. And I was like, well, you know, it's good. It's a good film. It's definitely worthwhile. It's certainly kicked off an enormous trend worldwide. But mm. I don't always see why. I mean, of the three films that she did, it's the second best. But, you know, that's about as far as I'll go with it. Uh, so what's your take on this one? Well, uh, well, my insight into this is that is we're talking 1974, so we're talking mm-hmm. post-Deep Throat. Paramount, of all things, picked this up. And it was, the from what I understand, the first X-rated film mm-hmm. released by a major studio here. Yes. Uh, as opposed to something slapped on with an X because of violence or perceived intent. There was no hardcore in these first few movies we're going to no. be discussing. But there are close moments. I mean, yeah. you, you, you're going to get a lot of pubic hair. You're going to get a lot of nudity, a lot of simulated, slow grinding. And lesbianism. Might, yeah, lesbianism. And you're going to get a couple of quick camera shots of, like, you know, the male junk hips, too. you know. <laughs> yeah, male junk, too, as you would say. I mean, nothing approaching, uh, what was that movie with Ben Gazzara? Capone. How this, if everybody remembers Capoma Bengazara, Susan Blakely was in that. And Susan Blakely had a, a scene where she's in bed with her. Her legs are wide open. It was shocking. That got through with an arc. And that was the first time a major starlet had bared all. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, this, this thing gets an X. And there's nothing really quite like that in this movie in terms of shocking nudity now you also touch upon the other thing too you know Sylvia Cristel is French you know very thin you know yeah. remember still dealing with that French aesthetic at this point and but yes they I, it begs the question they could not find an Asian woman who to play this character in, from such a popular novel everybody knew she was Asian so there's that now at the same time it does have a bit of seediness. I mean, I think they picked up, uh, just Jake and picked up on the high points, or, or can we say the low points? <laughs> uh, you know, the drug addiction, you know, the, the, the character, these people weren't drug addicts, but they, they travel in such wide circles with their sexuality that they encounter opium addicts, drunks, boxers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There is one scene implied, sort of, maybe, of an actress blowing cigarette smoke out of her vagina. But years later, you would actually see that, even if you didn't want to. <laughs> but back in these days, uh, also, it's not heavily gauze. It's nice right. photography, uh, nice cinematography. There would be some of these films later on where they, they just shot them through... Uh, Vaseline and cheesecloth, yeah. Yes, Vaseline lens. You remember those? Yes, uh, I do. That term? Yeah. You know, we don't want to show it too much. We're going to make it a relic. No, I can't fucking see anything. What are you, crazy? Why waste my time? <laughs> but, 
It was followed up by a, a sequel the very next year, but directed by someone else. Yeah. The one thing I want to close with on the first amendment, well, that you were kind of touching on there, you're dancing around it, is that what was interesting about it is, and you mentioned the the kind of gamine nature of Sylvia Christelle, and that's true because not just in terms of being French, but in terms of this is the post Twiggy era. You know, the seventies, right. everybody, guys and girls, were super thin. You watch Pumping Iron. What are they doing? They're not impressed by Arnold's physique. They're laughing at him. Like, what the hell is this guy with all the muscles? You know, because the ideal yes, man at that point yes. was a skinny fucking guy. The 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 Alan Alda new man that was sensitive and scrawny and whatever else. Uh, you know, the Richard Benjamins of the world were like sex symbols. Uh, you know, I like Richard Benjamin, but you know, it's kind of strange when you look at it now. Like, really? Although, who knows with the hipsters nowadays? They're kind of going back that way. But at the that's time, for many years very, between. Very, 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 very true, my friend. Yes, that that's excellent point. Excellent point. When we not to go on a a huge turn here but yes that's a very good point the Alan Alders who made a couple of feature films before MASH Richard Benjamin uh, I mean I still like him in Westworld then there's a few other things he was quite good at Jeff Bridges Bo Bridges you know the brother both those guys were thin young you know handsome guys Elliot Gould was a and, sex symbol for God's sakes what is that saying <laughs> Well, actually, Elliot did a couple of pictures I really like. And well, yeah, I'm not saying it's horrible. He's a, he's a decent actor. The Silent Partner. Silent Partner. Christopher Plummer. What a movie. But as far as women go, they like this wispy, willowy. You know why? I think artistically it was one thing. The models, the thin models were very, very popular. Vogue, whatever magazines, uh, modeling magazines were very popular at the time. That was the thing. Also... Also, for male domination, the idea... Now, I don't, know, I don't want to go too far with this, but I think you might know where I'm trying to get at. Mm-hmm. Male domination at that time liked that wispy, thin kind of woman. Mm-hmm. You know, they could, it, the feeling of a big, strong guy with wide arms could, you know, control. And a lot of implications there. And you had a very good point about Schwarzenegger, which a lot of you guys listening to the show, when Arnold first came out, and did like pumping iron and other things when they first gave him Conan and then he, he started making a few other movies he was thought of as a freak mm-hmm. and unattractive man and he, I give that guy a lot of credit for you know people say he's a horrible actor he always was no, you know the guy did he, he improved over the years he's done some good work a lot of good work actually but he turned that whole thing around mm-hmm. because if it wasn't for him would somebody like The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, open a movie with sixty million dollars? No, no. <laughs> if you, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. no, I was going to say just on the gold point. I mean, you're right. I have some films by him that I like, like Bustin or you know, The Long Goodbye or whatever. I don't have a problem with him as an actor. It's just hilarious thinking about this grumpy, very, very. I mean, you know, if you live in the New York area, you know what I mean by this. Very Jewish kind of guy. You know, he's very. Hey, what? You bother me? Come on. Oh God, what another day? You know, this kind of complaining aesthetic. You know, it's it's a shtick, but it's part of the thing that comes out of that culture. If you're in a certain area and you grow right, up in a certain right. way, and somehow this guy was a sex symbol. So what the hell is that saying? Well, I mean, at least Richard Benjamin, so, okay, he got a winning yeah. personality about him, and did you know that he had that kind of a vibe? Gold, really? And this is the way it was back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was. But so uh, now on to the next picture. This is going to be a long show. Uh, <laughs> it will. But also the, the thing I was trying to get to originally about, about the movie was that it was a mix of high art and low art in that it was very mm. much 
of its era in that it tried to mm. bring the erotic into the mainstream. And it succeeded in that. It succeeded wildly because it was a well-shot film. Uh, it had just enough hotness, but it was also just enough acceptableness to bring in uh, the mixed crowds, if you will. So the next film now, for whatever reason, Jaken turned it down, and you get the best film of the trilogy, as far as I'm concerned. It's actually directed by an Italian director, Francis Giacobetti. And what I said about this one was, it takes an Italian to show these Frenchmen how to make a hot and sexy film, uh, which is kind of a <laughs> bastardized requote of something Schwarzenegger once said. <laughs> It's ten times sexier and better than the original, as far as I'm concerned. And you get Laura Gemser in what becomes... Here's sort of a a minor role. It's a bit part, if you will. She's involved in one scene. and they, um, uh, They're in like a Turkish bathhouse kind of a thing, giving massages. And yet, it kind of blows up for her because it later it turns into an entire series because people noticed her. And it became a thing, at least in Italy. But, you know, otherwise, other than just being hotter and by like ten times hotter than the first one, and maybe a tad less philosophical, because once again, it's not as French, there's really not much else I have to say about this one. Uh, I know, I think you, you spoke of it very well. What I did notice about this upon umpteenth viewing recently was that you kind of pushed the envelope more with this oh, one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um... <sighs> For example, you know, like the French, I, uh, her, her suit, uh, hairy women, like, is, is it, is a fetish thing now? But back then, that's what it was, you know. Yes. Shave women wasn't that popular, you know. It's a whole thing, it's a preference thing, it's a whatever, it's, it gets complicated. You know, nowadays women will tell you, it's so hygienic to be shaved. Yeah, well, whatever. Not really. But, <laughs> alright, we're not talking about that, but the, he really, this, this guy really, <laughs> shot scenes which really pushed the envelope of, of hardcore uh, yeah. Yeah. at some point. We're not talking about insertion, but just the, the humidity. You know, mm-hmm. if, if, a, if a thigh was raised, you could see it was wet. It was like, okay, how'd you get away with that? And there's more going on there, and I don't think they shot things that they cut. I just think he was very clever to film certain things with implications and suggestiveness. Mm-hmm. So for all this director's Lack of resumes. I mean, is this guy pseudonymous? We don't want to get that deep with the kind of show we're doing tonight. And I myself didn't research him that well, particularly. He did a very good job for what it's worth. And yes, it's the first appearance of Laura Gemser. Yeah. And as you had mentioned, this was a very different time, number one. Uh, The whole shaving thing didn't come about until the Brazilian, which was in the 80s. That was to get those, Mm. you know, they went down to Brazil, they saw these women with these tiny, like, you know, flossing kind of bikinis. And, oh, how do I get that without showing everything and being illegal? There you go. And it became a thing after that. Before that, it was totally normal and acceptable. I was watching a film the other day with, what's her name there, Lynn Lowry in it, a Peter Fonda film, and she raised her arm over her head, and guess what? She's got armpit hair. What a shock. That's what happened back then. You know, the hippies were big on this. The Europeans, especially when you get into, even into the 80s, you know, French women, German women, you would see this constantly. This is a normal, mm-hmm. Italian women. This is a normal thing. It became a choice that now all of a sudden is like, quote, a standard. Then, you know, if you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. I don't. But, you know, hey, it was normal back then. So next up, we have Emmanuel 3, which, despite having a Serge Gainsbourg soundtrack, which, of course, is excellent, is a piece of shit. 
<laughs> Basically, it's boulderized. It's boulderized crap with a great Serge Gainsbourg theme song is what I wrote about it. That's all I had to say. This film, it was not just Jaken, which is part of the problem in a way, but it also mm. wasn't this, you know, probably pseudonymous Italian either. Uh, it did go back to France to somebody named Francois Leterrier. Christelle, of course, is in it, and some of the same character actors that were in the other films, but... It's so safe. Uh, what I understand happened, and I may be you know, a little bit off on this, is that while this other one was over in Italy being worked on, they were concerned about censors, because the censors were kind of cracking down. This was after the big backlash about Deep Throat and whatever the hell else. And, oh, even though Emmanuel was a big hit, you know, they still had some problems in regional theaters and whatever else. So they said, let's do something that was sure to be safe, but still do Emmanuel. Which, how the fuck can you do that? That's so misguided. That's like saying, let's do it, you know, so we can pass it by the Bible Belt and they can show it in churches. It's an Emmanuel film, goddammit! So, it became a horrid, horrid piece of shit that's about the only thing you could say for it is it's got some exotic locales. You know, it's, it's, there's nothing sexy about it. There's nothing appealing about it. It's boring. It's kind of depressing. The actual, the, the title of the film was Goodbye Emmanuel and even though it was sort of filmed at the same time as Emmanuel 2, it really was kind of the, the nail in the coffin of this series for a bit. So, uh, what do you want to say about this one? Well, uh, Sylvia Crystal's sporting very short hair in quite a bit of this. It's very interesting, and I found her very hot and sexy. Uh, it, it, it's kind of dullish. Yeah. It's, and, and, and as as opposed to the last film, pushing edges, pushing boundaries, and trying to get away with as much as possible for an X rating still, this film was disappoints. Yes. And that's really all I can say about that one. Now Italy picks up the ball from Emmanuel II. Thank God they pretend that third film didn't exist. By the way, the name of that film in some countries was Emmanuel the (laughs) Anti-Virgin. So now Beto Albertini, who really doesn't have a hell of a lot of credits to his name, comes up and does the first of two black Emmanuel films, and that's what they called it. Even though she's not black, she's Indonesian. But, you know... Cafe Ole skinned, I guess, Asian girl, which again was Laura Gemser. This is her first starring role. Young and stunning. I mean, this is, I mean, she always looked good to me. She was always, uh, you know, one of my top five women that aren't my wife in the world. Like, ooh, Laura <laughs> Gemser's in this. Yeah, I'm there. Uh, I don't care what it is. Laura Gemser's there. <laughs> she was really fucking stunning in this film. That's the number one thing about it. If you like Laura Gemser, you have to see the first Black Emanuel film. I'm sorry. It is that. You know, she looks that good. You know, otherwise, it's a decent film. You know, it's not as philosophical by any means none of these films that she did are you kind of lose that whole you know the the edge of the book and being oh look here's a decadent treatise on you know swinging and sexuality now it just becomes here's a swinger and she's pretty damn hot and sometimes she participates and sometimes just her mere presence especially as the series goes on causes other people to swing and get very sexual and she doesn't even participate but it's not the same idea and even though she's stunning and willing to do a lot of things, you know, pushing the envelope again, especially with Joe D'Amato later. She's not always the most erotic individual in and of herself. She's kind of more, I'm pretty and I'll just kind of wander into the scene and, you know, I'll look good and maybe I'll, you know, do something that I shouldn't be doing on screen, but it's not like, oh yeah, I'm going to throw myself into it. Like, you know, these girls that do this kind of stuff, they're like, oh wow, they are hungry, that's so hot, you know, even if they're not that attractive. She's gorgeous. She lets herself do things that you wouldn't expect her to do, but, you know, it's not that kind of 
it's not like Solo de Miranda and Eugenie. You know, it's not that kind of hungry. It's more just okay. I'm attractive and I'm doing this, and that's what you get with her films. Period. But uh, that's part of the problem here. Her husband. I don't know if he's her husband yet. Gabriel Tinti is in this one with her, which I think is the first time uh, he starts appearing almost in all of her films. And another fellow who I've met, a character actor that's loads of fun, uh, Ventino Ventanini's in this. Uh, shows up in about five million of these freaking Italian genre films. <laughs> and the music is from uh, Nico Fidenko. Uh, that's about all I have to say on it, but it is worth seeing, especially if you do like Laura. So. Yeah, uh, it's it's also about uh, the first of the Laura Gemser films that show up in... <sighs> Man, a multitude of retitled versions and sometimes cut, recut yeah. versions. Uh, nearly every Laura Gimser Emmanuel film has like 15 titles. Mm-hmm. And at this point, going forward, not only from cheesy, exploitative distributors, but producers as well who saw Cash Cow when they knew it, and you know they would they would cut scenes, redo structure. And add in scenes from other movies. Uh, we'll get to that soon. Um, I'm not crazy about this picture, but yes, it, it does showcase her. And the fact that she's actually Asian adds clarity to a character who originated from an Asian woman. Yes. You know, so so there's justification for a lot of this stuff that's going on here. So I liked it. I didn't hate it, but there are others that I, I enjoy a lot more. Oh yeah. But it's funny, uh, and this is something I don't want to run too much with. But with all the, with all the retrospective, I'm trying to think as I'm speaking, with all the retrospective appreciation of Laura Gemser as an actress and as a figure, and as a uh, embodiment of this Emmanuel character, she sh- didn't show as much as you think. Yes. Number one. And number two, it was almost a combination of her own reserve as a person and as an actress. But that being said, there are hardcore variants of these pictures where they use, just like they did uh, for lots of other pictures here in the U.S., there are hardcore variants of some of these pictures which show it all. No, you can't tell me that that wasn't Laura Gamza who was blah, 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 blah. No, it's very good skillful cutting. You know, mm-hmm. yep. sometimes not so skillful cutting. You know, it's like ah, it's a damn. You could tell, and sometimes it's like it's pretty well done. Yeah, and remember what I said. Her husband was on set for most of these films, and part of the, the cast. Uh, yeah. So yeah. you're not going to go. I mean, I know they might have been a little bit swinging, but it wasn't really that. You know, she was more conservative than that, and that's part of what I was talking about. This almost sleepwalking through the film. She will do things that you aren't expecting her to do, especially with D'Amato, who made her laugh and would relax her. She loved Joe D'Amato, but nonetheless it's more of my presence here as this beautiful woman that is somehow the embodiment of sexuality that will inspire everybody else to do crazy shit and you know she may take part but it's not as hot as it could be it's just more of her attractiveness so um, next up though Beto Albertini drops that ball that he got you know he put it on the air pretty well with the first Black Emanuel film with the new Black Emanuel also known as Black Emanuel 2 Unfortunately, this one is, I wrote, is a terrible misfire, 
are those tits even real? Because this, the, he got a new actress in this one. Uh, someone that goes by the name of Sharon Leslie that apparently is a Shulamath Lazari. I don't know what nationality she is. I'm presuming it's some sort of an African nation uh, because she is a black girl. But she, like I said, those tits look fake. She's <laughs> basically the bottom line of this. She's nuts and she sleepwalks through pulling a Me Too on all sorts of undeserving males when the problem resides entirely with her own unresolved issues towards her father, her ex, and a budding lesbian relationship. It's awful. This thing is a piece of shit. That's why they put it in a box set. Remember those two Black Emanuel boxes that Mm. they put out like a decade back? There was a reason this film was part of a box and not released individually. It sucks. It is so bad. It's so... Underneath it, despite the the sex on screen or whatever, it's a very conservative film that, like, punishes everybody for basically this girl being nuts. That's really what it's all about. It's not like somebody else abused her so horribly. She thinks that. She plays it out like it's that. But it always turns out like with a Rashomon kind of thing. When they go to these guys, when they go to these people, oh, no, it's all just bullshit. She's crazy. You know, she had this thing in her head that, you know, she wanted to go and sleep with her father or that her husband attacked her and none of it ever fucking happened. The only bottom line is that she has weird issues in her head and she's hot for another girl. And at the end, she drives off with the other girl on a bike. Okay, feel good film of the year. Get the fuck out of here. (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) What's your take? Oh, that's got to be that's got to be on a poster somewhere. Feel good film film of the year. Get the fuck out of here. Uh, I wasn't that I wasn't that thrilled with Shallow Smith Lazary, who I have to assume that's her actual name, not Sharon Leslie. But yeah, I have no idea. Maybe she was Ghanaian. Uh, you know, it's it's there's a certain exoticness to her. But she looks like there's, you know, the wind goes in one ear and out the other. She's got a blank look on her face all the time. Like, huh? What am I doing here? <laughs> well, you know, that too. I mean, we don't, I don't know. I don't know too much about her personal history. I mean, it's possible they picked out a, a drugged out, looking <laughs> Italian black chick from modeling. And With fake tits. Hey, you want to be Emmanuel? With fake tits. What? They look very, I like. But um, they're huge. They're just fake looking. Aye, aye, aye. But <laughs> I would have to assume they they were natural because we're still talking seventy six. Yeah, so, you never know. Anyway, <laughs> they hang uh, there like rocks. So. <laughs> Anything else yeah. you want to say with this great one? Or? <laughs> I don't know what I said about it except that I I thought she was attractive in a in a in a weird way. Weird way, <laughs> yes. <laughs> So next up, the Italians give us, and we're kind of jumping around a little bit, but Veluto Nero, which is also known as Black Emanuel, White Emanuel, which is directed by Brunello Rondi. And there's a reason you never heard of him. Uh, (laughs) This one is a little bit strange. It's got Laura Gemser, Annie Bell, Al Cliver, Gabriel Tinti, Nieves Navarro, who's really Susan Scott, those of you who know that, and Harry Allen Towers, the famed sleaze producer who was involved with a lot of British productions and a lot of Francos during a certain period, was involved with this one. It's not the worst film by a long shot. It's certainly better than Black Emanuel 2, or another film that's also kind of named Black Emanuel, White Emanuel, we'll get to in a bit, which is another piece of work. But it's... um. 
I don't know. I'd say it's kind of middle of the road. It's not bad. It's not totally unsexy. You know, Annie Bell is a very different character than Laura Gemser. She, unfortunately, she was really involved with drugs, and uh, she was the partner of Al Cliver, who's in this with her. He was totally in love with her. I think he still is in a way. But, you know, she was kind of messed up, uh, you know, personally on drugs and things. And that's what caused her death at a young age. She's kind of like... Edie Sedgwick, that's that's what I'm thinking of. Uh, that sort of a persona, except that, once again, she throws herself into her roles a little bit more. Is she you know, hot and sexy? Is she really erotic? Well, not to me, but, you know, she definitely uh, has that sort of living-on-the-edge feel to her. Uh, she's almost like an early punkette, if you want to look at it that way, too. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's not a terrible film, but it's about all I can say about that one. Well, I can't really add too much about that, that other than what you said. But yeah, uh, that punkette vibe, really, and again, time period, you know, kind of makes sense. Worldwide phenomenon. So uh, yeah, that could have been what was going on there. So uh, now I said it takes France until the 80s to pick up on the original trilogy, sort of, with a manual four and then they do a five and a mm. six. So in 1984, France finally goes and says, you know what, let's put this fellow, Francis Leroy, on, and we will go back to these Emmanuel films. And it's 1984. It's not the same. Uh, they still give credits, you know, writing credits to Emmanuel Arsan, but I don't really know about that. Sylvia Christel comes back, which was probably a mistake. There is... Again, it's an Asian girl in this, uh, Mia Nigren, uh, who's a, the fourth mm-hmm. Emmanuel. It wasn't a bad film. It wasn't unerotic. It wasn't terrible. Bricky Stevens is in the thing, so you get an idea. I get the impression that these may have been co-produced, at least some of them were, by Roger Corman. So that may say something to you, for good or for bad. <laughs> it's you know not the same ballpark. We're not talking about you know the 70s and the age of porno chic and oh look it's an Emmanuel film let's all go take the girlfriend to it it's already turned back to let's do some Skinamax or Playboy Channel Late Night Fair and I think that shows just to jump ahead there's a pair of films by directors who offered their very worst efforts on this series but had done you know much more notable cult work otherwise uh, Emmanuel 5 from 87 was by Valerian Barachek those of you who know films like you know what is it Beyond Combat Walls and uh, The Beast and Immoral Tales and so forth with Monique Gabrielle, which again, why are we getting a third-rate American screen queen who does like Fred Olin Ray films and shit? Uh, I know. <laughs> uh, I think you're jumping ahead of yourself for both of these. Uh, I think that Stevens and, and you remember Brink Stevens and Monique Gabrielle were doing Pony Girl movies. They were they were definitely <laughs> not doing Skinamax didn't happen yet. The HBO late night. I think that was about to happen over the next few years, but not quite. So I think these girls were, were definitely known in the scene. Actually, Brink Stevens doesn't even look like Brink Stevens in Emmanuel 4, which is which is something, you know. She doesn't look like the harsh method that she looks like today. You know, was, uh, sorry, Brink. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Linnea looks a lot worse, but... Uh, um, it's an interesting movie because you know Mia Negrin, who's Asian, doesn't even look Asian pretty much, and you know she she plays Sylvia Crystal's character after Sylvia has uh, extensive plastic surgery, therefore writing Sylvia out of the series forever. Right, right. Um, this film I had a hardcore version of, <sighs> and uh, it was it was in French. Well, it's, you know it's it fucking is universal language. Um, so. 
everybody did hardcore, and I would, I have, I, I don't want to go on record too much, but it looked like everybody did hardcore. Um, <laughs> but everybody looked like they did hardcore. Not Silver Crystal, of course, who, to our knowledge, never did. There's some insertion, obviously. Where did I get this? Some fellow in somewhere. Um, <laughs> it doesn't make it a better film. It doesn't make it a worse film. It's just, it's not a very good film. The only reason why I wanted to interrupt you because I didn't think these people came from the Corman stable as of yet. I, I could be wrong, but I, I don't think that that was the reason for their involvement because of the, some of the salacious footage uh, released in alternate versions. Uh, there would have been like major, major lawsuits going on all over the place, uh, I think, if that was the case. The Valerian Barachowik, I love this guy's name, I can never pronounce the fucking thing. Uh, <laughs> The well-known Polish director who you already uh, gave some CV for. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, Roger, you, know, you mentioned Corman, and it, it, some of the credits list Corman as a co-producer. I'm not quite sure whether I believe that or not, or whether if it came out through home video, like New World Pictures and a cut version. This is another one I saw the hardcore version of, and I didn't really care when I did. Yeah. Now, Monique Gabriel is in this, and Monique uh, turned up in a couple beloved uh, sci-fi, sword and sandal kind of, sword and sorcery, sorry, sword and sorcery kind of pictures and Skin and Max movies, which you were right at uh, during that whole period. Deathstalker uh, 2 is one I remember liking her. I, I, li- I like her on that, too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I spoke to somebody about two years ago who's uh, a well-known director of Lifetime movies today, but uh, was known as a cheesy, sleazy film director way back when, who kind of leaked to me that Monique uh, could be found on Next Hamster and Porno Hub, and but she does a lot of that kind of stuff nowadays. Not under her name, under, now, whatever she's called. <laughs> and I don't know, you know, I don't know. But yeah, we have no freaking idea. This is all kind of hearsay. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I mean, if I wanted to make an effort, I, I would find out. But So anyway, that's the case of that, leading us to the last film. Well, as far as I knew, it's the last film. They claim there was a seventh one in 93. I had never seen Hyder Hair in well, that one. Well, but... the, sixth, the, the sixth one was also with Natalie Uher. Yes. Which, she's got that Farrer Barset hairdo. Yeah, yeah. Did you discuss that no, I did not. The only thing I want to say about this one is Jean Roland was a partial director on this one. I think he might have walked off or maybe took over for the other guy because the accredited director is Bruno Zinconi. But, again, in terms of Roland films, just like in terms of Barakchik films, this is the absolute nadir of either man's career. You know, it's just... They feel... I mean, this one definitely claims to be produced by Roger Corman, at least in whatever home video version, whatever edited version, whatever you know release version. And it has that feel. I mean, these films feel much more American than French. They're very blowsy and cheap and unerotic and just kind of... You know those films that Tony Katayan did? I, don't, I forget whether they were for France or for uh, Australia. And they were erotic, uh, supposedly erotic. The Gwendolyn films. It's oh, like that. Well, that's it's, just Jacob. Yeah, that feels so friggin' American. They're just... There's nothing sexy about it. I mean, okay, in that case, they were supposed to be more of a Fumetti thing. Oh, let's bring this comic book character to life, and it didn't really work. But you but know, did this... you ever did you ever see the 102 minute version of that thing? I don't think so. Oh, it's 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 weird. It's not sexy at all. It's actually sadistic, and it's 
got some definitely heavy S&M stuff going on. And I was like, now I can see why they cut this thing down to 83 minutes. <laughs> uh, going back to the Chloe thing. <laughs> yeah, going back to the Chloe thing, yeah. So um, there's more stuff going on in France than that, which we're going to touch on later. But back over to Italy, and the Black Emmanuel films were in much better, if more dangerous, hands with Joe D'Amato, who we had talked about during our Joe D'Amato show, so we'll just kind of go over this quick. first one he offered was a titularly non-Emmanuel title. So the first Joe D'Amato, Laura Gemser film was actually Black Cobra Woman, which was the famous one, or infamous one, if you will, with Jack Palance in it. And... I understand, even from D'Amato and Gamser, both of them said things about him. Like, you know, the fucking guy, he came on set, not only was he making weird demands that he would change at the drop of a hat, uh, and very, like, irascible and difficult to, volatile, I guess, difficult to pin down. How do we get this guy to do his lines and not screw them up and make something up different and not walk off? You know, so we get the footage, and, okay, at least we got that much out of him. He would uh, take suits from wardrobe and then keep them and leave, uh, he was all kinds of things. He was really a difficult presence, not just on screen, but off. And he's really chewing up the scenery in this freaking thing, as usual. But I did enjoy it. There's a lot of nice travelogue footage, which really, of all the Emmanuel films, this is where it starts, as far as I'm concerned, uh, where you've got this whole thing. She's not a photographer in this one. Uh, she's not supposed to be a world traveler, but... They're going around Hong Kong, you know. They're they're getting uh, you know eels at the stalls, the food stalls, and things like that. It, it's nice in that respect. If you if you go to these things looking for a mix of erotica and travelogue, almost like a Mondo film without demoralizing, this is where it starts. That's about all I can say about this, other than you know, Palance chewing the scenery the whole time. <laughs> How about you? Uh, the the one thing I could say about this movie is that uh, actually Palance doesn't come off as much of a prick as you think he would. Like midway through the film, you start to realize, oh, he's sort of almost possibly normal, but he's very wealthy and living in Hong Kong, so he's a twisted fuck. But he's a normal twisted fuck. But his character doesn't come off as abusive as you think he might be. But again, it being a pseudo almost Emmanuel kind of film, or a place ever. Who's famous? Yeah, she does a snake it, dance. She does like a strip tease with a snake. I don't know. It's one of those scenes, though, like I was hinting at before, like, it's just like, oh, yeah, she did it with a snake. No, no, no. no, there's, no, more, no. there's more snake sex in Blade Runner than there is <laughs> in this movie. Yeah. Um, uh, which, which, y'all, if you, if you get my drift there. <laughs> anyway. And also, I should say that probably, it's, it's arguable, but probably my favorite uh, film score uh, person, Piero Omaliani, does the music here, for those who are into soundtracks of that era. So next up, we get into the Emmanuel series proper, the, quote, Black Emmanuel series. Uh, Emmanuel in Bangkok, which Nico Fidenko does the music for a lot of these. And... Very quickly, you know, just to jump over that one a little bit, we move into more taboo territory, where now violence and sex get upgraded to the, the, pretty much the very limits of softcore and audience acceptance, with films like Emmanuel in America, which, just look at some of these credits in here. You got Renata Kasha as Masturbating Redhead. Another person as Woman in Snuff Movie. You got a fellow named Jiggle and Beach Hut, Woman in Threesome, Man in Snuff Movie, and African Chief. <laughs> I mean, there is, uh, we mentioned Catherine the Great earlier. There's some stuff in here that's questionable in that respect. It was... Oh, really? 
my wife enjoyed the Emmanuel films. We watched a lot of these. This one disturbed. It's like, why'd you show me this? There are moments in this that are really, no matter how hardened you are and how inured you are to the extremes of European cult, you'd be like, what the fuck did I just watch? It's an enjoyable film, but whew, you've got to have a hard, uh, you got to be used to this stuff. Let's put it that way. So what do you want to say about those two films? Uh, Emmanuel in Bangkok is really interesting because it, it had a great poster, a very tasteful poster. The, it's a Joe Diamato film, and I try to place this one. It, it's very interesting because it's one of the cut and paste pictures that I saw another version of this film which had Bridget LeHay in it, whether she was edited in or not. Now, she didn't do any scenes with Laura Gemser. Bridget LeHay is another person, a very popular at the time, blonde. Uh, French mm-hmm. actress. Um, and a lot of Rwandan films and a lot of porn films. Yeah, a lot of porn films. Uh, she was very open sexuality. Some of her stuff is the hottest stuff ever. True. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's another story. But there's another version of this out there with a lot less Laura Gemza. Laura shows up in the middle, the beginning, and the end, and it becomes a version of the Hay film. I, I thought that was very interesting. I don't recall the title of that, but I may still have a copy of it somewhere. So it's interesting how they would take a movie and make it somebody else's movie and make it somebody else's movie. Whether this was Diomato, who I do believe never worked with LeHay, or somebody else who was the production help and said, hey, I'm taking this footage, I'm going to make another movie. It's an interesting movie. Now, you mentioned... <laughs> you mentioned... Um, the questionable elements. <laughs> Manuel in America, yes. Um, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the thing was the the back in the day, the the trading groups, the uh, the genre film trading groups, people that trade movies, and then the companies that that popped up that had you know versions of this before it actually showed up on DVD and whatever Blu-ray. I never knew what to, I, I didn't like it. I, I thought everybody went way too far with this movie, and yeah. you know it does push it really hard it pushes it really hard and then there's this whole thing in there about these uh people statistically torture you know roger brown who i always liked uh, in the euro spy movies play you know he pops up as a really thick looking senator investigating stuff you know emmanuel's like this reporter you know like over the period of time she turned into a jet-setting reporter reporting shit from around the world. But and sometimes she's a reporter, and sometimes she's a photographer. So they mm-hmm. never really decide which. True, true. But there's a bunch of stuff going on in this movie. It feels like... Hodgepodge Lodge. Hodgepodge, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, this is going on, that's going on. It's a hard movie to watch, because... Because yeah, one minute, there's some very hot scenes, and the next minute, there's something that'll turn your stomach. I'm like, what the fuck am I watching? So, yeah, it's very difficult. Well, yeah, I, I don't know if it's still in any of the footage, but uh, there's definitely not by Laura Gemser. There's a horse-blowing scene, which is like, ah, uh, I don't <laughs> yeah. really need to see that. This is, you know, this is that time period, late 70s, early 80s, when this shit was becoming really popular. In the, You know, this was stuff that always existed in the underground sex video market. You know, we're not going to say it never did. It's just not anything you or I are into. Yeah. And if we are, I don't want to hear about it. Yeah, exactly. But, <laughs> I don't want to know uh, if you are. <laughs> but exactly. But this was, this was known to exist in the underground market. So the Italians, those those friendly fucks, uh, they started like just going crazy. And they were making these movies. Then they started making them more out there, you know, yeah. and more available. 
So I think there's a, there was a bit of crossover that entered into this picture. Like Karen Schubert is an actress who was in a couple of Jalo films, and she was in freaking Bluebeard with Burton, of all things, before <laughs> she ended up strictly into hardcore. Uh, and doing Renato Di Silvestro yeah. films about being a drug addict or a hooker or something. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, yeah. I forgot the title of that one. So, um, Hannah D. Yes, Hannah D. Yeah, and, and she looked terrible by the... At a certain point, but then she put on some weight. She started to look a little better. She was doing guilt-type movies before she passed. Oh, yeah. She did that one. Was that Voodoo Passion for Franco? She was hot there. Yeah, see? And she was beefy, but she was hot. (laughs) Beefy, but hot. But then she, besides doing that movie for Franco, she would do like, you don't need to imagine because it's all there, any kind of movies. So uh, there's that being said. So... What I'm trying to say is this stuff is becoming, especially in Italy, more and more prevalent. So they tried to take this movie and put all this stuff in, and then it became a cause celebrity because it became notorious, and yes. it became the movie you didn't want to see. But, you know, what's what's that saying I have for something? You don't want to know, but you want to know. There's that. It's like a train wreck. You can't pull your eyes away. You, you don't want to see it, but you do, and you can't stop yourself. Yeah. Uh, and I do think that there was another reason for this, in that Roberta Finley's snuff, which we and when I talked to her years ago on Third Eye Cinema uh, on the podcast, we talked about that one in depth. And, you know, the bottom line was it was supposedly, well, she says it was all fake. Uh, I believe it was fake from what I saw. It was footage that she says was inserted by the producer that she was involved with at the time. This was before Walter Sear. And... This stuff, it became this big, the feminists were kind of marching against it. She implied that might have been staged. But nonetheless, I remember seeing that going through the city at that point as a kid. And there were actually people out there protesting the theaters that would show the film Snuff and as if it were real. And this became kind of a thing. I mean, you see it in Jersey Scott's Hardcore which isn't that much later. You see it in films like Emmanuel in America. Do these things really exist? Unfortunately, it's very possible. But, you know, nonetheless, it remains something of an urban legend unless people know something I don't, and I don't want to know about it if it's true. <laughs> Once again. Well, you know uh, what? And, it, and, there's, and there's a much maligned Nick Cage movie called 8mm, yes, which is same pretty, pretty good. It's a really good movie. And, well, not for subject matter, but it's got a great Nick Cage performance, and, it, and it's just... So unhinged, it's like it takes hardcore a little further. I think that that was a decent director in that, too. But this was like a year before this film was made. So you have to figure that, oh, someone someone enterprising at the time, be it Joe D'Amato, be it the producer, be it whoever, said, hey, look, this is a big thing over in America. They got lines around the block. They got, you know, feminist protesting. It's a big thing all over the news. Let's bring that into our Emmanuel film. Bad idea, yes, uh, but this is also the country that did Nazi exploitation. Well, okay, one of the countries you know, around the same time. So seventy-seven was a a really, really, really pushing the envelope year in cult film, and mm-hmm. this is one of the results. Uh, mm-hmm. So next up, they do uh, Confessions of Emmanuel, which is Emmanuel around the world, another Damato film. You're starting to see porn stars show up in this. Dirce Funari, a big Euro porn star. Randy West, Paul Thomas. There are, you've got people credited in here, 
girl penetrated by banana. Man with banana. Another fellow participant in Indian orgy scene. And who's it produced by? This is actually a name you would know. Fabrizio De Angelis. He was a huge, huge producer of Italian cult cinema during that era. And here you are making films like this. You know, D'Amato would continue to push the envelope until he moved straight on into the realms of hardcore and as he went later into the 80s mm-hmm. and so forth. But you're getting films like that. Then next up, and I'll just jump ahead and you can fill in as you want, he did Emmanuel and the Last Cannibals. Now he's bringing more violence in. The cannibal films were a big thing around this time to sell, too. So there you go. You got Gamzer. You got her husband, Gabriel Tinti. Uh, Susan Scott's in this from the Jalos. Donald O'Brien's in this. You know, Monica Zanchi shows up in something. says Dirty Finari again. And yet here we are in basically a cannibal holocaust sort of, you know, cannibal holocaust light. But, you know, certainly along the lines of, you know, Man from Red River and that kind of thing. You know, these crappy Italian cannibal films, which you like them, you don't like them. Here it is in the middle of an Emmanuel film. What? Sex and grew? All right. Then we do the one that I had mentioned at the outset with the relation to the Chloe thing. Emmanuel and the White Slave Trade. The, the street of, Prostitution Street is the real Italian name. La Via della Prostituzione. Again, you know, Gemser and uh, Tinti and Ventino Ventiniti in this. Still, in all these films, Nico Fidenko's doing the music. This is a respected composer. These are not considered garbage films, you know, and yet... They're really all, in different ways, pushing envelopes. D'Amato keeps going further. Sexy Nights of the Living Dead, which has George Eastman apparently wrote this one and the one that followed it. George Eastman being the big... Now he's a chef, I understand. He runs a restaurant. But he was about, I don't know, seven-foot bearded fellow who was in a lot of spaghetti westerns, and then he turned up in a lot of cult films, eventually doing things like Absurd and Necropophagus, or whatever the hell it was, Anthropophagus, where he eats his own intestines for D'Amato. So when he's in this realm in this era of uh, his filmmaking he writes these two films supposedly and stars in them which really kind of pushed the border going from a manual film with the zombie film in this case going straight into porn as we go on here it's kind of close you got mark shannon and dirce finari and lucia ramirez who become sort of the laura gemza substitute for the model thereafter really attractive cafe la but again kind of empty-headed she looks lost all the time a spanish girl who uh, would be doing more or less, you know, pushing hardcore stuff with him, like Porno Holocaust, which was the next one that's actually the title for this. You know, Anage Gorin, who has very visible herpes and apparently gave it to some of the cast. Uh, <laughs> you know, th- these are films that are really kind of, wow, this is out there, and you can kind of get these from more or less mainstream outlets and starring people that were in cult film that weren't necessarily, you know, porn stars. The 70s was a different time. So, uh, what did you want to say about these films? We've kind of covered them already. Uh, the Monolith cast. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. We, co- we, we covered, yeah, we covered them already with other podcasts. Uh, I'll have to catch up to you. Yeah, and no, like four <laughs> films there, five films. Briefly, uh, I mentioned Karen Schubert. She's in Confessions of Emmanuel, which I kind of remember liking not so bad as others. One of the lighter ones was a Giuseppe Vari picture sister emmanuel which was actually oh, yeah. in that whole thing there with monica zanke gabriel tinti you know we mentioned this you mentioned it first uh, that gabriel tinti is in a lot of these pictures almost mm-hmm. all of the laura gemser is he like yeah i'm really curious about this like she's still around i think laura yes. lives, in, lives in the states and uh, you know it's like was this guy like protecting her or was he like fucking you know like not coming near my wife you know that kind of thing so put me in the movie you know like 
I mean, he was he, he was an actor. He was a known actor. You know, his abilities. You know, it depends on you know what you what you see him in, etc. Uh, I found it really hysterical after a while because there's no Burton and, and Taylor thing going on. Here. <laughs> you know, it's almost like he's a huge cock blocker. You know, like on set and off set, possibly. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's very possible. Very possible because she was quite striking. Dirce Funari uh, also is in Sister Emmanuel, and yeah, these are these were porn actresses: Funari, Ange Goran, uh, Schubert. Uh, you know, I mentioned already. I think. <laughs> And then we got Porno Holocaust, and and it's <laughs> it's it's co it's co buddy feature, Nights Erotic Nights of the Living Dead. You know, basically you got two zombie slash cannibal sex horror films, which yeah. are pretty much indescribable. Yeah. Um, it's well, got, the second one, it's not even a zombie film. It's a guy that's like mutated, like he's exposed to radiation, and he's got a giant dick. That's basically it. Well, he's no, he's also disfigured. He's disfigured, but it, that would that, that would do it to you. But then, but then, <coughs> come on! If you had a big, huge mutated cock, you, you, the rest of you would mutate too. You know, uh, I'm assuming. You know, and it kills people when he screws them. So, yes, it, happened, it hasn't happened to me, thank God. Uh, but if I had ever had woke up one day with a huge mutated cock, you know, I, I think the recipe would be handsome. I hope. You know. but, hey, it could be like the master. Maybe you have a second one growing out. Of you. <laughs> well, you know, this is funny though. But the one thing I wanted to say about this picture, uh, <laughs> and, 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 and probably Portal Holocaust as well, is that this is an interesting thing because now it's it's pretty popular out there. Do you remember the Wandering Kid tentacle sex cartoon? Oh, yeah. Ritsuki Doji. Yeah, Ritsuki Yeah. So, there, there's live action of that. Yes, there is. I heard about that. I've seen it. So, oh, nice. Uh, <laughs> I've seen the live action Angel of Darkness films. They're usually pretty good, but I've never seen this one. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I don't know what I can say about that, but the <laughs> Yo, know, the slithery, wet tentacles invading orifices, but it's all fantasy, <laughs> horror, and sci-fi <laughs> witchery. Uh, I, I'd really like to see somebody do uh, Bible Black, but that's another story. I've still never uh, seen that. Still never seen it. Yeah, uh, yeah. I want to see do somebody do live action. Right. Anyway, um, <laughs> so all right, Yuritsu Koji, Wandering Kid. So you know. It's it's funny how there are some scenes in these movies and the the uncut unexpurgated the model sex versions of some of these these zombie and the guy with the giant monster uh, <laughs> in these movies where there are sex scenes I mean it's just crazy yes. um, but then you know they're, they're not with Laura of course because uh, no. uh, uh, I'm sure Gabriel's jumped in from offset hey yeah. <laughs> Uh, but Mark, yeah. Sh- Mark Shannon, who's like a Harry Reams lookalike, yeah, uh, he he he's he's like the de facto star of these of these pictures. And uh, you know what though? It's all all joking aside, all seriousness, uh, all seriousness aside, <laughs> all joking aside, all seriousness aside. The thing about these two pictures, they're very weird. They're like yes. there's a there's a bit of a, an uneasy feeling one gets watching is disgustingness no or like the, uh, for some weird reason they're actually really likable the I do these films a lot 
Yeah, but Diumano kind of pulled off the horror element, I think, a bit in this. So yeah. there's that. Damato's strange like that. We talked about him in the show. The crazier he gets, even though he's pushing the envelope, I'm like, whoa, why did I just see that in the middle of this? Despite that, he's a, he's a very good cinematographer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's a very erotic director when he wants to be. He's very hot in the sense of, like we're talking about in the manual, too. Or he can be, depending on what film he's working on, what period of his career. You know, like Top Model, for example, if you remember that one from uh, Cinemax days. You know, this very hot stuff with the, I forget the girl's name. We discussed it during the tomorrow show nonetheless his films are very very watchable and if you're in the mood for it very likable despite all the complete batshit craziness that's going on, on screen where you like if you show it to anybody else that isn't of a similar cult mentality you'd be like what the hell's wrong with you, <laughs> you know, get away from me you know put a cross up against you like like you're a vampire but anyway in the meantime, the French were trying other equally successful variants of the Emmanuel series, like Laura, also known as Forever Emmanuel, which, again, was supposedly directed by Emmanuel Arsan herself. Most people say that, he, if that were on the set even, claim that, no, she was in the film, which she is, you can see her there, uh, just like she was in the Sand Pebbles for a couple of minutes, uh, if you've seen that film from the 50s. But... You know, nonetheless, they're claiming that her husband was actually co-directing or directing these the, the film. Who knows? It's possible. I mean, I definitely think that she was responsible for more or less writing the book, if not totally writing the book. But directing, that's a different art. So it's very possible the husband did that. But, you know, for sales purposes, they put her name on it. They put her name on the script, the whole deal. And Ovidio Asinidis, who's another fun guy that we've never really discussed, producer that does a lot of decent Italian and Greek films of a certain era, was involved with this one. You know, again, Annie Bell. Your idea whether she you think she's hot or not, but she's there once again with her uh, cock-blocking boyfriend. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Mr. Al Cliver, who's a really nice guy. I really like Al Cliver. From Zombie, for those of you who haven't seen anything else he's done, but he's been in a lot of these films. And uh, like I said, Emmanuel herself, and it's basically similar. It's not the globe-trotting, I'm a reporter type thing. It's more of she gets involved with this whole thing to go and find her father was like an anthropologist and they go down to find this lost tribe that supposedly has, I believe, the Fountain of Youth or something crazy like that. They have the secret to eternal life or whatever. And there's a lot of, you know, erotic schmutters going on along the way. So there is a little bit of travelogue footage. It's definitely got the Emmanuel film feel. Do I think it's fantastic? No. But it's definitely passable. It's, it's definitely, if you have not seen it and you enjoy these kind of films, I would suggest looking for it as well. It's out there. Anything you want to say about that one? No, no, I, I do agree with you on this one, yeah. See, actually what I said here, I see I wrote some handwritten notes here. Bell is a weird choice, uh, taking the awful short bob women in prison shave do with the first Emmanuel to new lows. Arsan is attractive, locations are nice, and the film still gets hot, plus you get Al Cliver. So uh, next up, another one from the Italian, and it's actually a Beto Albertini, believe it or not, was Yellow Emmanuel. Basically... They get this really cute Chinese girl with a smoking hot body. The lead is encumbered with this homely old Cicciolina, you know, the the porn star that became an Italian parliamentary <laughs> person for a couple of years back then. She's basically a total friggin' bitch who can't let go when the, the male lead uh, gets false for the heroine, this Chinese girl, uh, who's, you know, she's supposed to be virginal, she's really sweet, the guy plans to marry her, the father loves him, he's going to move to Hong Kong, he's going to stop doing his uh, job in sales, or whatever he's doing, and this Chicholina's all pissed off and bit, does her best to screw things up. 
basically she uses some influence, pulls some strings, gets him to come back to Italy for his job. And when he gets called back there, she pulls strings to make sure that he stays there for a bit, and in the meantime starts intercepting all the cards and letters that they sent to each other, and intercepts a phone call even when she finally gets through that way, telling him, oh yeah, he's staying here and he's got to marry me, he's abandoning you, screw you. So what does this girl do, this virginal heroine that's all ready to get married and she's happy for the first time in her life and whatever? She winds up whoring! She doesn't go and commit suicide, she doesn't go do things you expect. Nope, she goes to a freaking whorehouse. So, uh... She finally, this guy gets back to Hong Kong. He barely finds her, and then he's got to fight off her Johns, who are like you know, waving money around, talking what a great piece she is. And despite this, he still marries her, okay. But then he dies on their wedding night. So it's really, really, as you can tell, incredibly soapy. But you know, it's worth it for some really beautiful locales. You know, the the Hong Kong footage is gorgeous, and this girl Chai Lee is a smoking hot body. I mean, she walks around naked. You'll know it. it it's it's nice. Uh, but you know, long story. <laughs> if you don't want to punch her in the mouth from her crappy porn, if you don't want to punch her in the mouth for being on the Italian Parliament, you want to punch her in the mouth for her role in this movie. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting that Chai Lee. Was also in for your eyes only, so I mean, there's that. Like five years later, so she actually did a kind of uneven career thing going on there. Mm-hmm. So, and again, Nico Fidenko does the music for this. He was on a lot of these Emmanuel films. Mm. Now, the Italians weren't having quite so much luck apart from D'Amato, even with Gemser and some D'Amato-esque attempts to combine that series with other popular cult subgenres like non-sportation and women in prison. You had mentioned Sister Emmanuel by Giuseppe Vari. I found it, I mean, it's definitely watchable. I did like it. It's kind of a cheesy nunsploiter, but it does have some really hot scenes, and I think it's ten times the film that The Alcove was, those of you who have seen that later nunsploitation D'Amato film with Laura Gemser in it. <laughs> and once again, of course, like I said, Gabriel Tinti's in it, Monica Zanchi, Dirce Fanari, and Rick Battaglia, and Stelvio Cipriani does the music in this one. Again, these are not low-rent composers. These are not yeah. low-rent people involved with this stuff. In terms of women in prison, good old Bruno Mattei steps in, and it's sometimes with Claudio Fergazzo, who was writer, and some people say, and he claims, oh yeah, I stepped in and co directed or directed the whole thing and Bruno wasn't even there. Who the hell knows? Somehow they were involved with each other. They did they were close in hand. They were both there on set. Who directed what? Who knows? With all their films really, but certainly with these. Again, they were uh, Laura Gemser, Gabriel Pinti. Lorraine DeSella is in both of them, of all people. Who's in things like, uh, what's the Diodato film with David Hess? House Near to the Park. Right, and Wild right. Beasts. I don't know if you remember that one. In a lot of the same cast, you know, Frank Estopi's in both of them. Ursula Florist. They're very similar, but I found that not only were they both kind of distasteful in the way that women in prison films are, the one, uh, I think it was Blade Violent, uh, Women's Prison Massacre, was mm. even more distasteful than the other. It was more violent to the point where you're like, geez, what the hell am I watching here? But again, it's Bruno Mattei. He's kind of a, a bottom feeder director. I believe we did address him during our uh, Italian Sleaze show. <laughs> so anything you want to say about those two? Um... Gee, <laughs> they all started to look at my notes. They all started to run into each other. Matai did do this really weird, you know, way after the fact Mondo picture too. Remember uh, Manuel and the Erotic Nights? Did you mention that oh, one? Yes. No, I did not. That's the one where she does the uh, introduction, kind of like uh, Jane Mansfield did in uh, Primitive Love. Right. Mondo film. Yeah. Yeah, there was a, a mystical ceremony allegedly. Uh, 
there was a lot of stuff. Actually, this is very, very seldom ever shown. There was uh, definitely like slaughtering of animals, bestiality, etc. This is like one of those Emmanuel films you will not be seeing coming from Severn anytime soon, uh, <laughs> or anybody. <laughs> Although you know, you never, you never say never. Stuff pops up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the Matei. Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, there are certain things he's done that kind of belie his ability to direct or inability thereof. Mo- most of his later stuff is actually oddly interesting. Yeah, some of that's actually pretty good. Yeah, Island of the Living Dead, Zombies, yes. The yes. Jail. I mean, those last three are actually pretty good. Uh, mm-hmm. The two cannibal things are hit and miss. But, yeah, they're questionable. But before that... When he was doing like cop game Robo War, I actually like Zombie Three. I find them interesting. Rats Night of Terror is terrible, but the the I like rats. But I also like Zombie Three. But Women's Prison Massacre, I, it's just like, what are you doing now? You know, yeah. it's funny. You know, he, and he's working with Fergrasso, as you mentioned. And 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 the, the hilarious thing is, you know, they found Laura Gensler, and it's like, oh, we're a package deal. Gabriel Tinty's back, so. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, distasteful, yes, but I, I'm not quite sure what else to think of them. Yeah, and even the Italians get into root exploitation. I don't know if you remember films like Mandingo, Quadroon, Drum, these films that came out in the wake of the Roots miniseries that were, you know, the, their taste is questionable at best. And a film called Passion Plantation, mm. also known as Black Emanuel, White Emanuel. So, yes, there are two films by that same name. Uh, maybe three, if you look at, I think Laura also came with one of those. With Melissa Longo in it, who was famous for showing up in really questionable films. She was in some Nazi exploitations. She's in all kinds of things. Don't uh, you think it's a misnomer with this genre? Questionable films? <laughs> yeah, that's true. But, I mean, this is even more questionable. Like, why is this an Emmanuel film? I don't understand. Uh, but anyway, or even you know, we're talking about strange genres that they started mixing the Emmanuel films with. The typical Italian sex comedy, like Emmanuel in the Country from Mario Bianchi. Uh, I enjoy it. It's a cheap, you know, if you like Italian sex comedies, you know, Chichi Bamba there, or, uh, you know, one of those Pierino films, or the School right. Teacher films. It's like that. So, basically, once again, it's the extreme of Laura Gimser walks into town, and all of a sudden all the locals get horny, and there you go. She doesn't do anything, just kind of wanders around and smiles. Oh, that reminded me of uh, that movie with Nicole Kidman, which I, I just caught on... Netflix one day because I was like what is this uh, it's about three years old Australian film and the same thing happens to her <laughs> yeah, but, through and everybody gets horny because she's there <laughs> yeah it's it's a very unusual Nicole Kidman film but oh, it seems to be her new thing and strangely enough they also do a sort of war movie The Dirty Seven so oh I didn't like that at all it's horrible yeah. which is here released as Emmanuel in the Desert avoid this one at all costs it is horrible. It's boring. I think there's about three people in the cast. No, um, there's, there's, there's eight. Because there's, okay. there's seven Green Berets, and, and there's her. I find it... What's that move, that Western, that really brutal Western, uh, Cutthroat's Nine? Yes. Yeah. I found this to be like the war movie version of Cutthroat's Nine. I, it's just... I don't like it. And actually, it's a funny thing you mentioned this movie, because it gives a bigger part to... Mr. Cockblocker. Uh, yes, it does. Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And also, uh, 
that stuntman that became a uh, sort of star from Matei films. Like he was in Zombie Three. I forget his name. Um, the guy he's, he's got kind of big, excited eyes. I want to say Popeyes, but it's not really that bad. But you know, he's got big, expressive, huge, wide-open eyes all the time. Uh, he was also in Virus, Hell of the Living Dead. So the same guy is in this film with a decent role as well. But you know, it's not a good film, not by any means. It was only late in the 80s that they dropped something that was more than just passably erotic and interesting. And even then, not so much. Lady Emanuel by uh, Pasquale Fanetti, uh, who directed under the nom de guerre of Frank De Niro. Uh, <laughs> somebody named Malu, who I guess must have been popular for about five minutes over there. It's fairly typical of Italian softcore of that era. But yet, you know, if you're thinking like... I like the Berlusconi uh, Valentina series. It did about 10 episodes of uh, television. So if you can believe it was from television, if you ever saw it. Kind of hot erotic, but again, like Skinamax type stuff. They used to show them on Skinamax as like, you know, whatever they are, one hour uh, episodes every now and then, late night. And it's kind of like that. It's very much like a Valentina film. So I did enjoy that one. Yeah, you, know, you mentioned you mentioned Malu, who actually for six years was so popular. She did like 15 movies, maybe 20. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She she was this... Um, well, if everybody remembers, we were just discussing about an hour ago, Shula smith Lazary. Malou was also a uh, caramel... She had like a caramel complexion, like, you know, kind of like tasty. And she had... But she was definitely European, which was interesting. Yes. I always well, thought of her as Greek. If you seem like Greek or Armenian to me. But yeah, yeah a, dark, a dark skin though, dark skin, short, um, kind of dark, you know, attractive, almost middle well, aged, but not. Was, yeah, when she started, she had already done hardcore, which I found really interesting, that she was doing a ton of softcore pictures, because essentially that's what we're talking about, this genre, like a lady, Lady Emanuel, when she had already, she had already worked with Chickalina and some hard stuff, mm-hmm. but her her career was was short lived because, <laughs> well, what can you do with that? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. I, I I think they tried to like they they found her unusual looking enough to try to do something with her, and then I guess at some point, well, you know, look, I think what I'm trying to get at is so here here's your your prospective clients now. You know, video stores are still the big thing, the rage worldwide. You walk in Italian video stores, you're gonna get some Malu softcore movies. You're gonna buy some Malu fuck films. No, you can buy the fuck films. <laughs> well, it's like, come on. That's um, true. So, <laughs> hate to be crass, but that's probably what happened. And after and after six years of this, they're like, go back. You know, we we make more money on your other movies. <laughs> So other countries tried to get on the act as well, like the UK, where the atrocious last gasp of the slap and tickle genre, and a satire of the original French series, Carry On Emmanuel. Yes, it's a fucking Carry On film, and it put the Carry On series to bed. It was that bad. Kenneth Williams, believe it or not, at his most fay is a guy named Emile Prevert. Get it, pervert? With oh, his wife. Did you, did you say Kenneth Williams fay? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love Kenneth Williams. He's, he's actually one of the highlights of that yeah. series. But holy yeah. shit, he's supposed to be like the male uh, protagonist who is married to Emmanuel, who looks, uh, this girl Suzanne Danielle, who's made to look a hell of a lot like, um, her name is Sylvia Christel, especially in the first film, who yeah. basically goes to England and gets everybody hot and bothered except him, who's running around and, you know, he's basically, not only is it one of the, you know, like a male difficulties, if you will, but he's actually like, scared of it like oh i can't take sex like really what is this freaking film about and it's not funny i mean joan sims is in it i mean the usual crowd that you get but not as many 
most of them just didn't even bother showing up in this one. And there's a good reason they killed the series. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny about those damn carry-on pictures because there's a lot of them. Oh, yeah. Uh, and and slap and tickle is one thing and sexuality is another. And uh, they, they did very well by putting, you know, uh, Valerie Leon... And all these hot uh, UK actresses, uh, European actresses, and a lot of their, their carry-on films. But the funny thing is, the one that I always thought was the sexiest was carry-on screaming. That's a good one. It's a really good one, and it's just it's sexy and it's funny and it works. Um, the thing with carry-on Emmanuel, I don't know if you made a note of this. It's one of the few that actually have ribald nudity. Yes. They were def- definitely trying to. Go somewhere else, but you know what? You're right. It, it, it killed it killed the series for a while. So only somewhat better from the UK was the sleazy soul screen performance of the stunning, if vain, and short-lived Julie Lee. It's more or less a cursed production, which I believe was also intended to feature the then-recently-deceased Mary Millington, which is Emmanuel in Soho. John East, who did a lot of these things, and David Sullivan, uh, they were involved in a lot of the uh, soft-bordering on hard, depending on who you believe. They may have done some hardcore films as well, but definitely they were doing softcore films like this in the late 70s, early 80s. Like I said, Mary Millington films, that idea. But with Julie Lee and Lindsay Drew, who would become sort of famous and infamous later on, we mentioned her with the Ken Russell show. You know, it's not much of a film. It's just kind of not very sexy. It's not very funny. It's just kind of... It's just not funny at all. It's just kind of a showpiece for this attractive girl who sadly was pissed off enough that she didn't win a local beauty contest that she drove her Ferrari right onto a tree and died not long after this film. So, you know, basically this is all you get of her. The Germans, on the other hand, uh, delivered some eh, mixed results with the sexy Vanessa almost getting it right. It was directed by Hubert Frank and has um, Olivia Pascal, who was a big name over there in uh, softcore. Uh, and sex yeah. And of all people, you know who's in this? Anton Differing. <laughs> that's right, that's right, that's right. Uh, you know, as a girl leaves the convent to discover that she's inherited a chain of Hong Kong brothels, yes, this was the script. A girl leaves the convent and discovers that she's inherited a chain of Hong Kong brothels. And that her sister married Anton Differing, of all people, for money. The two screw every man and woman in sight in exotic locales. That's basically all i got to say on that one. But, again, like Laura, maybe more so, it feels like an Emmanuel film. It's pretty decent. But their next attempt, the Germans, dropped the ball entirely. Love Camp, also known as Divine Emmanuel or Love Cult, uh, it's a vanity project by Christian Anders, this director, who also takes a leading role. You know, he takes a prime part on screen. Emmanuel runs this badly dubbed German hippie cult that's half orgiast and half Jim Jones. And there's actually a guy in the cast, uh, tellingly perhaps, named David Koresh. <laughs> and even Greeks gave it a go with the odd and fairly unerotic Emmanuel Queen Bitch, also known over here as Emmanuel's daughter, by a fellow named mm-hmm. Ilias Mylonakos. Again, Gemser and Tinti are in this one. Emmanuel is now an abused widow fighting with an ugly stepdaughter with eyebrows so huge she could kill you. I think she bought them off the Fuller Brush Man. The kid's such a bitch that Emmanuel seems like the soul of patience here. It's really, really bad. So anything you want to say about those three? I like the chicken with the big eyebrows. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. <laughs> wow, those things could kill you. These are huge, huge eyebrows. I thought eyebrows. there was something very... Darkly exotic about her. Are you hot for the juice man, too? (laughs) (laughs) All right, going on from there. Uh, So... (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> me 
Meanwhile, back in France, none other than our favorite producer, Dick Randall, of the Bruce Lay films and Don't Open Until Christmas fame, among many highly entertaining, bottom-scraping others of Grand House fame, was working with Jean-Marie Pollardy and others, and we have mentioned Pollardy during our French cult show, putting out the questionable The Daughter of Emmanuel, with, and it's not the same film, uh, Dick Randall had apparently wrote a novel in the story here, there's a, somebody named Sarah Crespi who stars as Pussy. Yes, that's the character's name. And he did a couple other films with Paul O'Day. Emmanuel 3, which was kind of a spy film in some ways, but ridiculously enough. If you've never seen a Paul O'Day film, they're really disjointed and crazy. But there's a lot of sex in them. Uh, so, you know, it's a mix between erotic and just bizarre. Like like I said, if you've seen a Dick Randall film, you know what to expect. Uh, Bridget Lehigh's in these, or at least in this one. Randall himself shows up on screen. Marilyn Jess, who was in a couple of Jess Franco films, shows up. And she did um, a lot of hardcore, too. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, this is set in Thailand. It's kind of Emmanuel-esque in that he's got this travelogue thing of Thailand. And yet, you know, like I said, it's sort of supposed to be a spy film. Polity's running around as a photographer. She's supposed to be a model come spy. I mean, you know, good, bad, and different. I enjoyed it, but it's definitely cheesy. There's but, something I want to inject here and say, this is an older Lahey now. In yes. this in this Pallardy film, which is funny because in the uh, the earlier years earlier Emmanuel film where she goes to Thailand, Emmanuel in Bangkok with Gemser, they remember I had said they inserted you know footage of a younger early seventies Lahey into that, and here they are as Pallardy's making a very similar movie now with Lahey. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's a, it gets very confusing. So uh, Pallardy did two more. Uh, Emmanuel goes to Cannes. Which, again, was okay with the Linka Hardeman. I saw that, and, yeah. Yeah, it's not great. It's okay. And then, for strangely enough, they took the earlier non-Dick Randall parody film, Erotic Diary of a Lumberjack, and retitled it Erotic Diaries of Emmanuel for their DVD release. But the only good thing about that one, it's really kind of bad, even among parody films. But it's got uh, the one of the Castell sisters from uh, Roland fame, Marie Pierre, also known as Pony Castell. And the gorgeous Joel Kerr, also of uh, Roland Films. And John Holmes shows up in it as well. So uh, <laughs> there's something there for you if you're interested. Uh, they all came in one of those cheapy box sets many years ago. And <laughs> at, around, <laughs> at around the same time, they took the Emmanuel idea a bit sideways for a film that I really do kind of like. Nea, also known as Nea, a young Emmanuel, directed by someone named Nellie Kaplan. Apparently he's a female. They gave the credits again to Emmanuel Arsene. I don't believe it. There's a girl named Sammy Frey is in this. Those of you who know your French cinema and French uh, pop music, I believe. I thought he was also a singer. Anne Zacharias is the girl. She's uh, the young book thief and celebrated erotic authoress who reads Pierre Louis and poses in front of Gustave Moreau exhibition posters. She gets pursued by the bookstore manager, who's Fry, who lets her get away with thieving out of, from a store out of fascination with her while publishing her first erotic blockbuster before having to come out as its author. They work out some kind of scheme because, you know, she's underage. Uh, it wouldn't be proper and all this kind of crap because she's kind of from a middle-class or upper-middle-class family. So he takes credit for it, and he goes wind up going out on book tours, and then she has to come out. She gets pissed off at him. She gets revenge on him. She comes out, basically ruins his life once again. We go with the whole, like we are talking about that Black Emmanuel 2 film a long time mm. ago. 
But then at the end, she lines up with him, which she wanted in the first place, because now he's got nowhere else to go because he's on the run as being, you know, she targeted him as some kind of fake abuser, even though it wasn't true, just mm. to go get revenge on this. And publishes these erotic books, and we're supposed to believe they live happily ever after in some island somewhere. But nonetheless, it is a decent film. It's a decent film in terms of the, the soapiness of it, and it's a decent film in terms of some erotic stuff. I mean, yes, again, it's this French intellectual uh, approach to it, but I did enjoy this one a lot. Uh, so anything you want to say about that or any of the others that we didn't? No, no, because I, I, I think I've seen them, but I don't remember them, so... So uh, that's really all the ones that I wanted to speak to, but there were a lot of other ones that floated around. There was a series of made-for-TV films uh, from France that ran from 93... Actually, it was all 93, but it was about seven films. There was this crappy thing I always see on Amazon and laugh at, Emmanuel in Space, which was all from 94, seven films again. Uh, Uh, Another one, Emmanuel 2000. Did you see them? How bad were they? Uh, they're pretty bad because you know we get we get to the point. Uh, I well I I saw four of those Emmanuel in space. I believe yeah you're right. There are seven. It's sort of like you get to the point where why are you making these antis? Now they they start to do the like Afro sheen of sexuality. You know it's like mm-hmm. it's post Red Diaries. You know that post that whole thing, and so they're making films that they're trying to make sexy films. But they're being so damn safe about it. It's just like I can see more in a Victoria's Secret ad on TV. It's like you know, yeah. it, it, it just the artistry is gone and the the whole art of titillation is missing. And it's very interesting about those things. They're incredible time wasters. It's kind of like in that respect. It's like what the Republicans always try to pull with cutting public TV. Cause it's, oh, well, if you want that, you got the History Channel, and you got A and E, and you got TCM, and you got whatever. And then of course all those people start going under and start putting ads and showing like wrestling or whatever the hell instead, and mm-hmm. Honey Boo Boo or whatever. And you know you get the same idea here. It's like oh well, you can get just as much erotic content from watching you know the WV or something, those tweeny dramas like uh, whatever Dawson's Creek or whatever the hell. Mm. And like well yeah, but not really. And I don't find that erotic. Whereas some of these films really are kind of hot. So you you're kind of throwing out the baby with the bathwater by saying that. Uh, not you, but I mean that's the idea. Is like, why would you even think of boulderizing erotica? Erotica is erotica because it pushes certain envelopes. You know, not saying you got to go crazy like some of these Damato films, but you know you've got to at least let the um, the art of the forbidden breathe because that's part of the sexual uh, impulse, if you will. Yeah, um, um, one of these I wish I did see was Emmanuel in Venice from '93, which has Sylvia Cristel, uh, obviously uh, not well-looking Sylvia Cristel. Yeah. And somebody infamously uh, named Marcello Wallerstein. Yeah, you're going to go. Don't want Ellie Gould. Yeah, they, they, they did some really nice posters for this uh, and some ad mats. Uh, it was called also Emmanuel's Perfume or something. I'm not quite sure. George Lazenby, yes, that George Lazenby, plays Mario. Wow. Uh, uh, you know, probably Dick Swingin' super playboy type. But, you know, it's it was directed by uh, Francis Leroy, who did some really interesting films. So I'm kind of always curious about this, but it's definitely one of the, you know, before Christelle died of uh, a long-time illness, uh, very interesting. Leroy did a lot of Emmanuel films. I yeah, he did Emmanuel 4, we mentioned earlier. Yeah, and this, this might have been for TV. Yes. All around the same period. So, um... Oh, he did one of these really strange fucking movies I, I always liked. And then Demon on the Island. 
Okay. Well, Anna Dupre, very strange movie. You've got an island, and people start going crazy, start fucking one another, and it's all about some psychosexual impulse of illness. Very, very weird movie. But our, so with our Emmanuel thing, I think you prefer it came about that. Yeah, it's it's uh, this show is all about the whole dawn of sexuality. I think we touched upon things with books, novelizations, the early Emmanuel films, and how it got so crazy disjointed. But probably Laura Gent, the, for some, the Sylvia Crystal's the favorite, and for some, the early Laura Gemser's the favorite. Do you have a favorite? Yeah, I've always been a Gemser person, even though, like I said, she's not always the most erotic on screen herself in terms of, like, getting hot and bothered. Uh, those films are hotter. Basically, when it comes down to it, the Italian films are really what it, you know, where the, uh, the erotic lies, except when it comes to literature, per se. And there are some French films that really do push the limits in that sense. But, you know, even the, just Jake and look, the story of O was that really a super hot film? Eh, it takes somebody that we will probably discuss next time, Bradley Metzger, to do The Image, which was, uh, interestingly enough, by the wife of Alan Robegerlay. Uh, she did the uh, authoring of that script to do a really hot French erotic film. Otherwise, it takes people like Jess Franco to do it. It takes people like Joe D'Amato to do it. It takes people like that pseudonymous director of uh, Manual 2, Francis Jacobetti, we assume he's pseudonymous, to do a good, hot French erotic film. Mm. Uh, and these people are Italians. These people are from other countries. These people are, I mean, in Metzger's case, American, Jewish. So, what is that saying? I don't really know. They, they certainly got their philosophy down right uh, in terms of decadence. They certainly or, I mean, most of the good decadence are from France, if you go back historically. But when it comes to making a good erotic film, it feels like they always kind of hold back. It's a little bit more cheesecloth It's a little bit more mellow and slow and not as hot as it could be, even though the suggestions are there. One exception, perhaps, Roland. So. That's a good segue to the uh, Radley Metzger show. Yeah, no, I, I, I can't add anything to what you said there. No, you, you spoke very eloquently and uh, pretty much summed it up really well. Alright, so uh, next time around, we will be talking the films of Radley Metzger and Henry Paris. So, uh, we hope you enjoyed our little drawing room chat about the um, films of the Emmanuel cycle, or various cycles, around the world. Emmanuel around the world, if you will. So, next time, as I mentioned, we'll be talking Radley Metzger. If you'd like to contact us here, you have comments, suggestions, or you're a filmmaker, musician, who'd like to join us on air, drop us a line at our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash weirdscenes1, or our website, weirdscenes1.wordpress.com. We're also on Twitter, at weirdscenes1. Weird Scenes is at the Goldmine, brought to you by the Big Papa Online Network on Block Talk Radio. Anything else you want to close out with? No, thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed the Emmanuel talk. And uh, maybe we'll get some of you to go out and start trying to see some of these pictures. Because that's the other thing, folks. When uh, these do, things do become available, if you don't snatch them up, then you may not see them again. I Unlikely Arrow, but never say never. I hate to keep saying that. But unlikely Arrow will put out a box set. But I've seen stranger things happen, so... Thanks for listening. And I'd like to say also, too, uh, my wife is a big person, like you know, a lot of millennials and things like that. She's not that young, but uh, believe in streaming. And I'm like, well, number one, they pull things from streaming constantly. But secondly, you aren't going to find a lot of these damn films. I actually tried, and they're just not freaking out there. So if you don't have that physical copy, 
good luck, buddy. <laughs> so there is a merit to uh, finding things that are a little bit more obscure and culty and have them for yourself. Mm. Again, we will see you next time around. See you next time. at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Tune into Third Eye Cinema, your source for in-depth discussion of cult cinema with a focus on film that matters. Cult, grindhouse, drive-in, independent, and underground film from the dawn of the talkies through the early 90s. This is a forum where we explore genre film and music from around the world, in-depth conversation and career analysis with directors, actors, and musicians, and open discussion on films that matter, those that fall outside the mainstream corporate film by boardroom committee. These are the problems of the auteur, the visionary, the dreamer, the outsider. None of that direct that passes for mainstream film these days. 
This is all about the glory days of independent cinema from all over the world. Any of the hotbeds of obscure, oddball, or generally wild cinema available on DVD from the dawn of the medium to this very day. Join us as we delve deep into the cinematic netherworld here on Third Eye Cinema. Sundays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, on the Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio. What is At Eye Level? A reductio ad absurd and look at the headlines, from politics to pop culture, from the corporate to the individual. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, we take a not-so-serious look at the serious issues of the day. Whether it's politics, economics, social issues, music, or old movies and TV shows, we discuss everything the corporate media overlooks while making you laugh at the absurdity of it all. Hell, you've got to have a sense of humor about life. Just look at the headlines. So join me, Matt G. And me, Doc Savage. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern as we navigate the sea of trolls, talking points, and trickery. And try to figure out a way to be there when tomorrow comes. At eye level, bringing more to you. Only on the Big Papa Network, on Blog Talk Radio. Tuesday nights at 6.30 Eastern for an exploration of the many roads and methods which promise to lead us to the ultimate answer, a higher purpose, the meaning of life. I'm just like a lot of you, a middle-aged mom with piles of laundry and a meditation practice. I've been down many roads to get where I am today, and my journey is far from finished. But I'd like to share my experience and hard-earned wisdom with you. So what is it about women and spirituality? It seems like we're always the first to try out something new. Christianity was spread in large part by wealthy women. And where would Uncle Al be without a scarlet women? Who is by and far the largest audience of New Age alternative spirituality? What is it about us that always has us seeking? And why does it always seem that men tend to take over what we discover? Join us for a dialogue between two long-lost friends representing both the yin and yang aspects of the whole, each of whom have traveled multifarious paths all across the spectrum of spirituality, the dark side and the light, from the organized to the out of the way. This show is for all those frustrated in their quest who've been through various stops on the spectrum of spirituality and found them ultimately unfulfilling. Join us for some hard-earned lessons and thoughts on potential new directions and possible value in what inevitably fails in organized practice, but which may have some merit to the solo practitioner and fellow seekers of truth in this journey towards life. Moving towards life. Lessons in life and spirituality from unconventional seeker. Bringing more to you only here on the Big Papa Online Network. On Blog Talk Radio. night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Join us for Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Mine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Drop in for a spell with Doc Savage, Lois Paul, myself. Discuss the beloved, the hated, the weird, and the wonderful world of cult films, music, television, and more. We'll be covering classic films, shows, musicians, and literature of the past, with an eye towards what new visions may still arise from the soullessly derivative mire of our modern age. Tune in turn on and take a step outside the mainstream as we dig deep into the rich vein of cult cinema, music, and television right here on Weird Seeds Inside the Goldmine. Only here on the Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio. 